Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to be together. Go ahead and turn with me to Romans 12 in your Bibles. You'll find that on page 1,127 if you're using the Bible next to you or under your seat. Uh, And as you're doing that, I want to welcome those of you here at Tyson's as well, those of you that are joining us online, as as well as those that might be even joining us for our Loudon location today. It's good to be together to worship the Lord and to be in His Word on the first day of the year, for that matter. And I'm not sure how you celebrate or prefer to celebrate the new year. I know growing up, we had a little bit of a, a tradition when we were kids. We grew up on the, on the West Coast, and every New Year's Eve, we'd love to go to a friend's house, and we'd spend the whole night playing games together, just having a good time. Uh, and then when it came time for the ball to drop, we would uh, get our snow gear on, because it snows a lot where I'm from. Uh, we would arm ourselves with pots and pans and wooden metal spoons, and as soon as the clock struck midnight, we would run outside around the house and bang those pots and pans as loud as we could to celebrate the new year. And we loved it. I don't know about the neighbors as much, but we enjoyed it. It was a fun way for us to celebrate the coming in of a new year. And however you plan to commemorate the new year, I want to encourage you in one way specifically before we get started today. I want to encourage you to make this the closest year you've had with Jesus yet. Make it the closest year you've had to Jesus. And if you think about it, if the aim of the Christian life is to grow more and more in likeness to Jesus, then that really should be our aim and our goal every single year. We'd love to help you in that journey. Today starts the beginning of our new reading, Bible reading plan for 2023. You can find a copy of that um, in our e-news, or you can head over to mcleanbible.org slash Bible reading plan. We're starting that. Uh, it's the beginning of a two-year plan where we'll read all the way through the Bible over the course of two years. Today we're starting in Genesis 1 and Matthew 1. It's not too late to start the new year off in the Word. I'd encourage you to do that. And then next Sunday when we gather together for worship, we're really going to focus our time on how we grow in intimacy with Jesus. How how can we kick the year off by pursuing him with our whole hearts and our whole minds uh, as we start our annual 21 days of prayer. Uh, So be looking forward to that next week. But for our time in the Word this morning, we're going to focus on a short phrase that's found at the beginning of Romans 12 or or near the middle of Romans 12 or so. Romans is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and he spends the first 11 chapters of this letter presenting one of the most extensive and beautiful explanations of the gospel in the entire Bible. And then when you get to chapter 12, he then starts to focus more on the practical. And the section uh, that starts in verse 9 is sometimes titled, Marks of a True Christian as he lists out different traits or characteristics or behaviors that really should characterize the life of every follower of Jesus. This trait after trait after trait, and every single one of them are worthy of their own sermon. And today, we're just going to focus on one of those phrases. So we'll start in verse 9, and that's going to lead us into the phrase we're going to look at today. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Paul says this. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All really great recommendations for the beginning of a new year. And then we get to verse 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints. And then he says, seek to show hospitality. 
Seek to show hospitality. Or as the NIV puts it, practice hospitality. Now, I'm curious what comes to mind for you when you hear the word hospitality. It might bring images to your mind of Joanna Gaines or your HGTV show of choice. My wife grew up in Georgia, so I've gotten to experience some good Southern hospitality in that sense. It might bring to mind elegant dinner parties or gatherings that you attended maybe last week in celebrating Christmas or gatherings you attended last night or will attend later today to celebrate the new year with family or friends. But is a good table spread what the Bible is talking about when it comes to hospitality? Well, if we are to faithfully follow this command, then we need to understand what the Bible means when it says hospitality. So the phrase we see here in Romans 12 could literally be translated to pursue the love of strangers. It comes from the word philozenia, philo meaning to love, and xenia meaning stranger or that which is unfamiliar. And the Holman Bible Dictionary defines this term this way. It says it means to entertain or receive a stranger or traveler into one's home as an honored guest and to provide the guest with food, shelter, and protection. Now, considering when Romans was written, the need for hospitality really grew out of the natural needs of nomadic life. We have to remember that these verses were written at a time that didn't have the abundance of hotels and resorts that we do now. And as people would travel from place to place, they had to depend on the kindness of others to meet their basic daily needs. And when they would travel, public inns at this time were pretty rare, actually. In fact, that's one of the reasons why when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, it was hard for them to find a place to stay. They were all full. And when there was an inn, well, we'll just say they wouldn't have received a five-star rating on Airbnb. they They didn't have a very good reputation. So there was a huge need to care for those who needed a place to stay. Now, on top of that, the care of a stranger was considered one of the highest virtues by many different cultures at this time. In fact, it still is for many cultures today, particularly in the Eastern world. And if you were hosting someone, it typically involved housing and feeding them for up to three days without any expectation of payment in return. In fact, I love how one commentary describes a current example of this and how it was similar to what we see described in the Bible. It says this, the present practice of the Arabs is the nearest approach to ancient Hebrew hospitality. A traveler may sit at the door of a perfect stranger and smoke his pipe until the master welcomes him inside with an evening meal. He may tarry a limited number of days without inquiry as to his purposes and then depart with a simple God be with you as his only compensation. Could you imagine heading home after church today, finding someone standing on your door front, doorstep, smoking a cigar, saying, hey, when's, uh, when's dinner going to be ready for us here today? Be a little shocking. This is, this is the picture that we see in the Bible. Now, we live in a time and a place that has a lot more options for lodging than there were back then, but the heart of biblical hospitality is not just simply giving someone a place to sleep, but it shows a willingness and even an eagerness to welcome others into our lives while seeking to meet their needs, ultimately their greatest need. Now, we don't have time to do a full treatment of how the Bible talks about hospitality today, but I do want you to see why this practice matters for every single follower of Jesus. It's not just for extroverts or those who like to host parties. 
And then I want each of us to consider then what faithfulness to this command might look like for us in 2023. And in light of it being New Year's Day, I've actually outlined this message in the form of a countdown. We're going to briefly look at things in this way. We're going to look at five key passages, four biblical truths, three common obstacles, two practical environments, and one closing exhortation. So five, four, three, two, one, if you're taking notes. I know New Year's countdowns normally start with 10, but I figured a 15-point sermon was going to be a lot better received than a 55-point sermon. So you're welcome for that. So let's go ahead and dive in right at the beginning, starting with five key passages. We're going to move through these pretty quickly, so if you can't turn to them, they're going to be up on the screen, and we're going to start right where our Bible reading kicks off today in Genesis chapter 1. So if you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 1 with me, that's where we're going to uh, begin. In the very beginning, God speaks and creates the entire world out of nothing. And then on the sixth day... We see the pinnacle of his entire creation. He creates man and woman made in his image. And then in chapter 1, verse 28, it says this. It says, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. So God not only creates mankind, but he makes for them a home. And he gives them everything that they need to thrive. And he does so knowing that even though he's met every single one of their needs, they would soon choose to reject him. We're actually going to see this on Tuesday in our Bible reading in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve reject God's rightful rule in their lives. And as a result, they experience his righteous judgment and their perfect home is broken. But God, being merciful and kind, still cares for and provides for them and his people as they continue to grow in number. So fast forward many years later, and he will deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, and he gives them his law, which was meant to instruct them on how to spread his glory in the world. And as you read through the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, you will see dozens and dozens and dozens of occurrences where he instructs them to care for the stranger. And one of the clearest of those commands comes in Leviticus 19, starting in verse 33. It says this, So when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He tells them to treat them as a native, to honor and include them as if they were part of the people of God. He says to love them as they love themselves, literally care for them and meet their needs. And why were they to do this? to be a picture to the world of how God cares for and provides for those who recognize him as Lord. It's meant to be a picture. Now let's fast forward now to the New Testament, John chapter 1, where we see God's love for his people put on full display. John chapter 1, just verse 14, and it says this, And the word became flesh, speaking about Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the glorious reality that we spent all of December unpacking and celebrating as a church as we walked through Philippians 2. 
that God came to us in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, in order to meet our greatest need. And that word dwelt in this verse literally means tabernacled or tent. To the original audience, it would have brought to mind the tabernacle or tent that served as a special dwelling place of God throughout the beginning of the Old Testament. And now Jesus comes, God in the flesh, to make his home among mankind. Not to be served, but to serve. And I'll tell you in a moment why this passage is key for us in understanding biblical hospitality. And then as you continue to read through the New Testament, there's many places where you see the command to extend hospitality to others. One of the clearest places comes in Hebrews 13, where the writer says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, don't get too caught up on that last phrase. It's likely an allusion to Genesis 18, where Abraham extended hospitality uh, to three unexpected travelers who ended up being angels, messengers from the Lord. But here in the New Testament, we see God continuing to call his people to extend love to the stranger, just as he did in the Old Testament. You'll see this command reiterated in 1 Peter 4. Jesus will tell his disciples in Matthew 25 that whenever they welcomed, cared for, clothed, or gave a drink to a stranger, it was as if they were doing the same to him. It's a command we see often in the New Testament. And then lastly, turn with me to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, where we see the culmination of God's hospitality on display. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. It's the same word used in John 1. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what all of history is headed towards. God dwelling with his people, satisfying and meeting all of their needs for all of eternity. Which then leads us to four biblical truths. So if you're taking notes, biblical truth number one. The whole Bible speaks to God's hospitality. The whole Bible speaks to God's hospitality. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible paints a picture of our loving and heavenly Father who, despite man's constant sinfulness and rejection, provides him with a home, meets every single one of his needs in order that we all might know and rest in his loving care. I love how Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements describe this in their book on hospitality. It's titled, The Simplest Way to Change the World. It's a resource I uh, highly recommend you. It's very relevant. They write this. They say, the Bible begins with God making a home for humanity to dwell with him in a garden, and the Bible ends with God making a home for believers to dwell with him in a city. He is a gracious host constantly welcoming in wayward sinners who deserve his wrath, a people whose only hope is that he would show them undeserved hospitality. Amen. So the whole Bible speaks to God's hospitality. Biblical truth number two, God's ultimate act of hospitality is seen in the coming of Jesus. 
And this is why the passage we read in John 1 is so important. God takes up residence in the world that he created through the person of Jesus. But he didn't come just to meet our physical or our emotional needs. He came to meet our greatest need, which is to be reconciled or welcomed back to God in order that we might know and enjoy him forever. Now, if you're here and checking out church or you're new to the Bible or exploring Christianity, this is the most important truth that I want you to understand today. Just as the first woman and man rebelled against God, every single one of us have done the same thing. We've rejected God as the rightful king that he is. We've chosen to follow our own ways instead of his, and as a result, we deserve his just wrath. One sin against an infinitely holy and perfect God results in our eternal separation from him. And if the news were to get any worse, there is nothing we can do on our own to mend that broken relationship. But this is where the miracle of Christmas is worth celebrating all year long, that when there was nothing we could do, God did everything necessary for us by coming to us in the person of Jesus. It's as we studied in Philippians 2 last month, Philippians 2, 8, and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, was born as a baby in a manger to live a perfect life on this earth, and then he would willingly die on a cross in our place, taking on the full punishment that we all deserved. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later, declaring that no matter who you are or what you have done, you can be forgiven of your rejection of him if you will only trust in what he's done on your behalf. This is why John 1 describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. We didn't deserve it, but he offers it to us freely. So if you've never trusted in Christ's work on your behalf, I want to urge you to do so today. New Year's resolutions aren't going to cut it. (laughs) The new life that you've always desired, the life that you were created for, is only found in Jesus. So biblical truth number three, in light of God's ultimate act of hospitality, God then commands his followers to extend hospitality towards others. He then commands his followers to extend hospitality to others, which only makes sense. A person who has experienced the hospitality of God naturally desires to extend hospitality to others. And no one is exempt from receiving that gesture. In fact, 1 Peter 4 and 9 makes it clear that we are to extend hospitality to those first in the church. 1 Peter 4 and 9 says, show hospitality to one another. One another is the synonym used in the New Testament for other followers of Jesus in the context of the local church. So those in the church, and then Hebrews 12 makes it clear that we're called to show hospitality to those outside the church. What did the writer say? Do not neglect to show hospitality to who? Strangers. (laughs) There it is. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And to what end? Biblical truth number four. God works through our hospitality to strengthen the church and to reach the world. Strengthen the church and to reach the world. First, he uses the church as a conduit to meet the needs within those within the family of faith. Meeting needs within the church. And if you've ever doubted the importance of this activity, God includes the character trait of hospitality on both lists for elders seen in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 as a requirement for those that lead in the church. God desires that leaders in the church model this practice in order that we all might follow their example. 
And when we do, we get to see a tangible reminder of how God has been hospitable towards every single one of us and how he will continue to be for all of eternity. So hospitality strengthens the church and it also introduces the world to our hospitable God. We care for one another, seek to meet their needs, or even just welcome others into our home. It serves as a way to break down barriers and build relationships with others that ultimately might lead to an opportunity to share the greatest news in the world with them. And when God works through our hospitality, we get to witness the miracle of seeing others being moved from being strangers of God to becoming his children. It's a miracle we get to see on display. There's an amazing example of this that's been incredibly inspiring to me. It's the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield. You can read about her story in the book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Comfort. I'm actually going to include a link in this week's e-news to a video where you get to see her share her full story, which I highly recommend. It's incredibly helpful on so many levels. But in short, Rosaria was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University who identified as a lesbian and worked to promote equality for the LGBTQ community. She was determined to disprove the claims of the Bible, and she wrote an article in a prominent newspaper sharing why she believed that Christianity wasn't credible. And she received a lot of written feedback from that article, but there was one letter in particular that stood out to her that came from a pastor of a small local church. His name was Ken Smith, and in his letter, he didn't try to spar with her, but instead he invited her to his home where they could, he said he simply just wanted to listen, learn, and explore her claims together. And she accepted his invitation, mainly because she thought, well, this might be really good for my research. But then listen to how she describes what took place through the hospitality of Ken and his family. She says this, at those dinners, something unexpected happened. Ken and his wife became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics, and they did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. And when we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. She was intrigued, and eventually she would go to his church, and months later, after sitting under the teaching of the Word of God for many months, she would embrace Jesus as the one and only true God of the universe. Amen. Like, don't underestimate how God can use hospitality to introduce others to our merciful, holy, and all-loving God. Now, we can really easily come up with excuses and reasons not to do this, which leads me to three common obstacles. There's many things that can get in the way or keep us from being willing to extend hospitality towards others, and we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but I do want to highlight three in particular that I think can easily keep us from this practice. The first is isolation. Isolation, particularly as we're still learning how to live in a post-pandemic world. We've come to see our homes as a place of respite and escape. It's where we like to go to hide from the world and escape from its problems. And with entertainment and screens now more accessible than ever, we're just tempted to go home, hide away, veg out, and just watch something instead of engaging with others. Insert your favorite entertainment with a provider plus a plus sign there. There's so many options at this point now. 
And I'll admit, this one is challenging for me. I'm an introvert. I want to hide away from people. That's how I recharge. And after a full day of people and ministry, if Rachel mentions to me that we're having someone over, I'd be lying if I said my first reaction is always, wonderful. (laughs) No, we're hesitant to invite others into our sanctuaries, which can end up pulling us away from people rather than moving toward them. Forgetting that, even though most people might not show it, connection is what everyone is looking for in the first place right now. Proverbs 18.1 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We've got to be careful not to let isolation keep us from pursuing others. Second is materialism. And let's be honest, inviting others into our living spaces is risky, particularly for longer periods of time. House guests don't come with security deposits. And we don't like people messing with our stuff. I actually remember Rachel and I wrestling with this uh, many years ago when we first started piloting multi-generational community and prep for church groups uh, and our church family. And we realized that when we open our home to multi-generational community, that means that it would inevitably include young, energetic, rambunctious kids who have no regard for furniture and homes. And I'll never forget one of those first gatherings when we had a few families from the church over. The kids were kind of playing around, and the adults were sitting around processing the morning's uh, sermon, and Rachel had made some of her amazing chocolate chip cookies, which were still warm and gooey. I can just taste them right now. And in the middle of discussion, I looked up just in time to see two of those cookies launch over the group. It was like in slow motion. Over top of us, connect with the white linen curtains and slowly just fall down. I could tell Rachel had seen it too and she was doing her best just to stay engaged in the conversation. It was like, I was so proud of her. It was like nothing had happened but I knew she was dying inside. And I'll tell you what, three weeks later we found four more cookies lodged in the couch. The gift that kept on giving. Now we could have gotten upset at the mess and resolved never to host people in our home ever again, but over time we experienced the blessing of edifying and encouraging relationships that formed as a result of us opening our home to others. And because of that, we decided that from that day forward, people were always going to be more important to us than things. Amen. It's also something we consider whenever purchasing items for our home. We need to take Jesus at his word in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, where kids throw cookies on curtains. (laughs) But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Isolation, materialism, and the last obstacle is one that's rarely escaped, particularly in our city. Busyness. I think I heard a few amens to that. It's so easy to fill our schedules with so much activity that we just don't have time to welcome others. In fact, we might even have the desire to host and welcome others into our lives, but when the opportunity comes, we can't respond because our schedule simply won't allow it. Now, the pace and drive of the D.C. area certainly doesn't help with this. We feel the constant pressure to do many things as intensely as possible to get ahead. Things like getting into the best schools, making the best teams, getting into the best shape, landing the best jobs, having the best experiences, making the most money. 
And we fill our schedules as we strive to do as many of these as possible all at once. But at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves, in light of eternity, will any of these things actually matter? If our schedules are keeping us from following the commands of Jesus, even the most basic of ones of spending time alone with him in his word, I have a feeling when we stand before the Lord in glory, the excuse of, sorry, Lord, I was too busy, is just not going to hold water. May we heed Jesus' words to Martha in Luke 10 when busyness took over in her life. She was consumed with busyness, and her response to her is instructive for us as well. He says to her, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Choose the good portion which will not be taken away. Now, I'm not going to try to say that all of these obstacles are bad. It's good to take time to rest and recharge. Enjoy a movie. We should take care of the resources that God has blessed us with. And seeking to do well in our jobs and activities is a way to be faithful. But we do need to be careful not to allow these things to become idols that keep us from obedience, particularly when the Bible has instructed us to practice hospitality. So I'd ask you to consider which of these obstacles would most likely keep you from extending hospitality. Okay, we're almost done. Two practical environments where we can practice hospitality. We can show hospitality in any number of places, but for our purposes today, I just want to highlight two environments that every single one of us can utilize. And the first should be obvious by now. The first is your residence, the place where you live. The connection and fellowship that's experienced within the home is something that's hard to duplicate anywhere else. So whether you own, rent, or even just passing through, there are ways that you can use your living space to be hospitable. All the way from just inviting someone over for coffee or a meal to opening up a room or even a portion of your home for someone to stay in for an extended period of time. As you look to the end of the Bible, we actually see a clear commendation of this in the book of 3 John. I know you don't often hear sermons on this book, but nearly half of it is a written commendation of someone else's radical hospitality. It's written by the Apostle John to a believer named Gaius, Gaius who had provided housing and financial support to itinerant ministers who had been passing through his town. And John hears about this and he writes to Gaius, and this is what he says, starting in verse 3. It says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. What truth is he talking about? Well, look at verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. He houses them. He meets their physical needs and he sends them on their way. John hears about this. He writes to him and he says, well done, brother. You're honoring the Lord in this. Now, I know it can be tempting to think that you don't have enough space to be hospitable. I certainly understand that. And if you feel that way, I actually want to challenge that thinking. Some of the most hospitable people I've ever met have lived in the smallest of spaces. I think about families that I've met overseas that are living in one room together that's smaller than the average bedroom size in all of Northern Virginia. Yet they were some of the most welcoming and gracious hosts I've ever encountered. 
Now, our home would certainly fall into that smaller space category, and we've had everywhere from individuals staying with us for an extended period of time to having multiple families crammed into every single space we could find available at certain points. In fact, just a couple months ago, we had two families staying with us for a couple of days and both had a lot of young kids. It was a full house. As an introvert, I was going nuts. Uh, it was a joy, though. And sometimes when people leave, they leave you with broken appliances. Like I remember one individual, as they were leaving our home, he, as he was walking out, he handed me the knob of our dryer, and he goes, oops. <laughs> but every time when we've sent people off, we're left with either hearts that are full of joy from the life that we've gotten to share with others, or we've had an opportunity to recalibrate our own hearts to what is most important to God. And that's always people over things even if I am an introvert. So, your residence. The second environment might surprise you a little bit, and it's actually the building we're sitting in right now, the church building. We have an amazing opportunity to practice hospitality in this room every single Sunday, which is why it's so important that we not see the weekly worship gathering as an event that we rush in and rush out of as quick as can, No, this is a sacred space where we get to meet with the Lord and worship Him together, hear from His Word, and then we've got a chance to connect with others in meaningful ways that could lead to ministry opportunities, particularly with those that are new or who have yet to trust in Jesus. The Lord graciously brings people from different backgrounds and experiences into our church every single week, including many who have not yet trusted in Jesus. And you and I have the chance to practice hospitality simply by just turning around and saying hello to someone before we leave. We've even got a cafe down the hall that'll be open next week that you can offer to buy an individual lunch just to get to know them a little bit more and ask them, what led you to come to our church? It's also a great way to meet and deepen relationships within the church, particularly if you're seeking connection. Now, if, if you're a visitor here today, I, I sense you getting nervous you're, you're looking for the exit thinking, how do I get out of here as fast as possible? What did I get myself into? And I just want to put your mind at ease. We simply just want you to know that you are valued and welcome here and that if there's something you're walking through right now that we can support you or encourage you or care for you in, we would love to walk through that with you. We want this to be a place where you can express that so you have nothing to fear. So I want to challenge us as a church to get into the habit of leaving intentional space in our Sundays. Rather than hurrying out to the next thing in our day, let's aim to leave some space simply just to be available to others, trusting that the Lord can use that time to deepen relationship in the church and help others encounter Jesus. I actually saw a really neat example of this just a few weeks ago. We uh, commissioned a small mission team right here on the stage at the end of our services that were getting ready to head to North Africa for a week. And in between services, I was talking with one of the team members uh, backstage, and he told me what had led him to go on that trip in the first place. He had started attending our church a little over a year earlier and wasn't really that connected with the church, kind of casually attending. But then one Sunday at the end of the gathering, we encouraged individuals just to turn around and greet each other before they left. And someone sitting next to him greeted him, got to know him a little bit more, and through conversation, encouraged him to connect with our young adult ministry. And he did. 
And as he went and got connected in their young adult ministry, he heard a lot about God's heart for the nations and felt a burden growing within him to go to the unreached, which led him to inquire more about global outreach and global missions. And he said to me backstage, Nate, it's because of that greeting that I'm now going to the nations. All of that because someone was willing to take a few minutes to extend hospitality simply by saying hello. Like, don't underestimate what the Lord can do through our hospitality in this very room. Now, I want to invite the worship team to join me back out here as we come to the final step in our countdown. And before we get there, I do want us to review where we've been in true New Year style, so I'm actually going to need your help. And I'll walk through what we've seen really quickly. And when I hold up each number, I need you to shout out nice and loud what number we're on. So if I hold up the number five, you're going to shout really loud. Yes, but you're going to do it a lot louder than that because I know how excited you are. But wait until I hold up the number because you don't want to be shouting a number all by yourself. I want to try to protect you in that. And if you didn't stay up until midnight last night, this is your chance to be part of a big New Year's countdown. So here's your chance. Are you guys ready? If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. Here's what we've seen so far. Nice and loud. We've seen key passages in others straight from God's word that then ground us with biblical truths that motivate us to extend biblical hospitality to others, despite common obstacles that can easily distract us from following this command and then considering primary environments where we can practically pursue this practice. It all leads us to One final exhortation. In light of what we've seen this morning, here's what I want you to consider. One final question. How might the Lord be leading you to practice hospitality in 2023? How might the Lord be leading you to practice hospitality in 2023? Or even more specifically, what's one step you can take this week to be hospitable towards others. I know this is going to look a little different for each of us. Maybe you just need to take the simple step of getting to know your neighbor, person who lives next to you, next to your home. Invite them over for dinner just to get to know them a little bit more. Maybe you need to consider opening up your home to host a church group, particularly if you've got a lot of space. These groups tend to be a little larger in size. If you've not yet connected with a group, we'd love to help you connect with one and maybe even host one. If you're interested in that, come talk to us at the Welcome Center after the service today. Maybe you need to consider how you can wisely and safely open your home to meet the needs of others, whether inside the church or whoever the Lord might bring your way. Some of you might need to consider opening your home to fostering a child. One of the biggest needs in the foster care system right now is for families who are willing to take older kids and teens. And the statistics and outlook for teens who age out of the system at 18 are startling. The Lord could use your hospitality to break the chain for one of those individuals and maybe even lead them to the Lord. Or maybe a small step is simply just saying hello to someone after the service today. However the Lord might be leading you, I just want you to remember that faithfulness in this practice is not based on how others respond to this. Romans 12 does not say force your hospitality on others. It says seek to show hospitality. It's an aim, an attitude. 
And we do so remembering that had it not been for the Lord's hospitality towards us, specifically through the person of Jesus, we would still be strangers without a home. He's made an eternal home available to all of us. And because of that, we extend hospitality to others because God has been hospitable and welcoming to us. Would you bow and pray with me for a moment? And before I pray, I just want to give you a moment between you and the Lord just to say, Lord, what would you have me do as a result of what your word has said today? I'll give you just a few moments on your own between you and the Lord, and I'll come back and close this in just a moment. Go ahead and take some time. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you created in the first place. You didn't need to, but in your kindness and mercy, you created the world, created every single one of us, and you made a way that we might be welcomed into your family as your sons and daughters. We're overwhelmed at your hospitality towards us. So grateful, Lord, that you would welcome sinners that have rejected you. And I do pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who has not yet received your forgiveness, not trusted in what you've accomplished on their behalf, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would show them how much you love them, the great cost at which you went to purchase their and secure their salvation, and that they would turn and trust in you, our all-hospitable God. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would show us what faithfulness to this specific command looks like as we enter into a new year. May we not see things more important than people. May we be willing to trust you that when you give us commands like this, that they are for your good. In light of the reality that Jesus told us about in John 14, when he said, in my Father's house there are many rooms, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself, that you may be there also. We look forward to that day, Lord, when your hospitality will be on full display. Amen. But until then, Amen. lead us in love to those around us. Amen. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we pray this to all, said this together. Amen.